Hello, and welcome to the Hockey Assist, a basketball podcast. Here, we give basketball fans a deeper perspective on the game by connecting what's happening on the court to the sport at large. My name is Nolan Cope, and here, as always, is my wonderful co-host, Riley Gaucher. What up, Mr. Cope? A long time no see. I'm, I'm so glad to be back with you and, and producing more hashtag content for our, for our loyal listeners. I know. It's been a... It's been a, a a few week hiatus. We we mixed in uh, the episode with Nick Lampy, which was such a fun episode. Uh, we threw that in a week after we recorded, and then for those of you out there who have forgotten or uh, do not know, I recently completed a move to Thailand. So the reason we've been radio silent has been I have been trying to get myself acclimated to not only a new place of residence, but having that new place of residence be on a new continent, a different hemisphere. So the uh, the adjustment period has been real, but uh, we're back. Basketball is happening and it's better than ever. And uh, we're here to continue providing conversations about that. I, I, am, I am so excited. So what, uh, Nolan, pray tell, do we have on the docket for this week? Let's let's ju- let's jump straight into the shoot around and a team that has been lighting up uh, internet memes and Twitter and uh, whatnot has been the Brooklyn Nets for all sorts of reasons and one of those reasons, uh, Mr. Uh, Durant's social media accounts we'll get into a bit later. We'll get into it in more detail a bit later, and. Uh, the other thing that has been going around a lot that I've noticed that pisses me off, frankly, is everyone complaining about the Nets forming a super team. And I've seen graphics go up on uh, the internet of like, look at all these N- all NBA teams that the Brooklyn Nets have on their roster. Look at all the all-star teams that the Brooklyn Nets have on their roster, you know, because now that they've added Blake Griffin uh, and LaMarcus Aldridge, uh, people are saying that, oh, adding Griffin, Aldridge, and DeAndre Jordan, previous All-NBA, previous All-Star players to a roster that has three incredible superstars in Durant, Harden, and Kyrie. People are making it seem like this is a team of six All-NBA players all together in the same place. But these are all the same people who have been calling DeAndre Jordan, LaMarcus Aldridge, and Blake Griffin washed for years, right? Besides Blake's uh, uh, 2018 campaign with Detroit Pistons, I don't think any of these guys have been good since at least 2016. And it blows me away that these internet people are saying, super team, super team. It's a take that is grounded in the early 2010s and doesn't have any real rationale to me. Anyone who's watched a Brooklyn Nets game, has it's frankly hilarious to watch DeAndre Jordan on offense because he stands on the very outside of the dunker spot for 20 seconds until the possession ends and he runs back down the court to play defense and like three or four times a game when Harden comes in down the lane Jordan will move his aching joints and go down the baseline and finish a lob from Harden like three or four times a game he gets like six or eight points or whatever it is Riley what, what, what's what's your opinion on this Brooklyn Nets quote-unquote oh, oh, super right. team? You are not going to like where I'm coming from in this, uh, in this response because while I fully accept that counting past all-star appearances does not indicate the true quality of these people, I do have an issue with the general trend of buyout candidates. There's been a lot of a lot of discussion of this point and, and, you know, is the buyout market broken? And it's never something I've really considered before, but it is, you know, as somebody who grew up playing soccer, paying attention to soccer and, and started my sports fandom really as, as a baseball fan, it's something that is very unique 
to, to basketball. And it's something that I still don't entirely understand why the buyout market exists the way that it does. You know, I, I understand that it's beneficial for, for both sides, but it's just it's a mechanic that doesn't really exist in any other sport where you can have guys who are on really terrible teams just basically at the end of the, the year, you know, transition to, to the contenders and go pick their, their team to ring chase with. And so uh, from all that perspective, to me, this, this is a little bit an indicator because as much as this is about, you know, there isn't that much talent going, you know, with Aldridge and, and Blake, uh, Blake dunked, Blake dunked in his first, his first basket, his first like possession. And to me, either that says, He's not been trying in Detroit, and now he's trying because he's on a better team, which is just shitty behavior on his part. I tend to take the more charitable kind of you know view of it that that I, I think he really was hurt, and maybe that you know is a is a more of a sin against the the Detroit franchise. But I think to call them completely washed and totally irrelevant is is not fair either because they're they're going to they're going to do something, you know, Blake's had some really good passes. Um, you know, he's still, I still have thought he was talented and, and with, you know, the, the right amount of load on him and the right, you know, like uh, ability that he's got more inherent skill, even if his body doesn't, doesn't wrap up than, than a, like a Bruce Brown or someone else, you know, so who might be a better NBA player at this moment, but, you know, I still think Blake's experience, Blake's knowledge, and then also Blake's name recognition, right? Like, this is it's it's really an economic argument that people are using to say that the buyout market is broken. It's only people going from Midwest small market teams to the coast, which is you know a, a discussion that I really want to have with you someday about you know the, the trend of of movement in the league. But I I do think that you know those teams that lose these buyout guys, that's their biggest name. That's their biggest thing that they can use to, to advertise to fans to get fans to pay attention in a shitty last season, like the, the Cavs or the Pistons, right? And so I, I, as much as I understand where you're coming from, and I think like at the end of the day, you're right. This does not matter. I am a little bit uh, aggrieved because I think the concentration of, of talent and names and especially just marketing opportunities and, and, and attention is congregating in places that as, as someone who believes in more equity across the league, I'd like to see that more evenly distributed. You, you make some really good points, you know, like having like the fact that losing these big name players from these small market places is tough for those small markets. My my qualm is, is not with that. My qualm is with the fact that everyone lost their minds that sure. The, sure. the Brooklyn Nets were, were breaking basketball, you know, by adding all of this superstar talent around, you know, when from a purely basketball standpoint, I'd rather have Nick Claxton, the only like defensive player on uh, Brooklyn, getting minutes. I'd rather have those Bruce Brown at center minutes because, like in the in those times when I talked about when DeAndre was just standing in the dunker spot for twenty seconds, then running back on defense. Yeah. You know, Bruce Brown, a six four guard, was screening for Harden and rolling to the rim, and eviscerating fools. You know. That was fun basketball and throwing in these sure. these big names with that like name recognition and that reputation, like, oh, that's Lamarcus Aldridge. Oh, that's Blake Griffin. I don't like I I like we'll we'll see how it plays out for Brooklyn, but Brooklyn's defense sucks. And none of those guys are really good at defense anymore. So I I I, I have issues with the uh sure. with that that argument that people make now. Now, if, yeah. if we didn't have uh, uh, other things we wanted to talk about, that would be a fantastic segue into the day's main topic, the uh, extremism and hyperbole on the internet. But we'll, we'll save that segue for just a couple more minutes after we, we get to the other teams we want to talk about today. Yeah, because a team that uh, did not wait for the buyout market to make their moves and uh, struck at the trade deadline was the Chicago Bulls. Sent out some picks sent out a young player and uh, got back a variety of additions to their team, including all-star Nikola Vucevic. Riley, how do you, how do you feel about the Bulls movements around trade deadline? I, I like it. I think they did, they did a good job. You know, Vuce, as, as you all know, as I believe the owner of him in, in fantasy is just an underrated stud. He, he dominates 
with skill, with size, right? Like he, I'm not sure that there's that much besides defense that the man can't do on a basketball court. Um, and so I think that's a great pickup. Um, I like Wendell Carter. I really, you know, still believed in his potential. There was, there was a lot of discussion this summer for the Warriors that they could look to trade down two spots um, to the number four pick with the Bulls, get Wendell Carter, and then also get a player. And that was a deal that I was stoked about because I think, you know, he's got skill, he's got potential, um, you know, he's just been so injury prone. So for the Bulls, I think a good, a good piece of business, you know, for the Magic, I think it's past, been past time to get, you know, boost to a good situation. I, I have heard the criticism that, you know, this is going to help them peak as like a, a four seed. Um, and I think that's partially true. And that's an, uh, another conversation for the whole other day. Like, is it worth it to, to sell things and, and spend assets if you're trying to, you know, move up, move up the playoff roster, but you don't actually have a chance of contending, like where, where do you value that? And so, if we, if we set that aside and we just focus on how much does this make them better and how, how much they spend, I think it was a good deal for the Bulls. Yeah, it, it makes them better. And uh, there are a lot of stories of basketball players, especially big men in the NBA who uh, develop slowly, you know, and Wendell Carter didn't get tons of experience in college playing behind Marvin Bagley and uh, didn't have the greatest coaching in the world for the first few years he was in Chicago, you know, and has been in and out of the rotation with those injuries. So he absolutely has time to grow and make himself a good basketball player in a lot of ways. But I think with a lot of the recent trends in the NBA, uh, if you, it, it, it requires you to be a certain level of good early on in your career, if or at least show certain like flashes of being good early on in your career, it to foreshadow all star appearances, you know, like John Morant is a very good basketball player, has not been an all star for the past two years, but no one has watched him play over the last two years and said, I don't know about his all-star candidacy, you know, like he's going to be an all-star and maybe that has something to do with him being a guard and Wendell Carter being a big man, but I I'm not super high on Wendell Carter's ceiling. So like you said, like this is a move that makes the bulls better. And when teams get moves, uh, have the opportunity to make moves to make themselves better and they do it. I'm always a big fan of that. Totally. I, uh, I want to, I want to jump in here with two things. The first being something that just like puzzles me and, and I need your, I need your help. Which positions are supposed to develop faster? Because I've heard, you know, big man takes them a while to develop. I've heard wings, you know, it really takes us a long time before we see the Kawhi start to, you know, like develop their full range of skills. And so when I, when I am reading a lot of warrior centric stuff, you know, there's like patience on James Wiseman. He's, he's going to take a while to develop because that's just big man. So is it, is it point guards? Is that the only position out there that we should expect to develop quickly? Like, I, I feel like that excuse has been applied to every single kind of player. And I, I don't know, I just, it, it's something that has burned in my brain. And when you said that, it made me go, huh? Sure. I mean, like it, from, from the way I see it, guards have the balls in their hand the most yeah, That's a good on any team. That's a good point. You know, like, except for, like, maybe the Miami Heat, where they run things through Bam and Jokic, where in Denver, where they run things through him. Unless you've got a transcendent big man, the guards have the ball in their hands way more often. You know, they had the ball in their hands in high school. They had the ball in their hands in college. And then they've got the ball in their hands in the pros. So they're doing the same thing they've been doing for their entire basketball career. You know? And these big men who are seven foot tall man children have been absolutely (laughs) abusing players for the last five or six years of their basketball careers by being way bigger than them and way more athletic than them. They don't have to be in the right position defensively because uh, they have such an explosive jump that they can go erase their mistakes positioning wise with a block into the third row. You know, and by the, when they get to the NBA, all of a sudden that doesn't work anymore. And uh, so they have to have that adjustment period of learning, okay, against these uber athletic people, I need to 
be in the right positioning for the first time in my life. You know, I need to be in, uh, uh, I I need to be moving my feet. I need to be watching this. I need to be calling out that what Draymond was telling Wiseman with your warriors example is he's, he's been constantly coaching up Wiseman. We made jokes about that before, but like, you need to be loud. You need to be noticing everything and calling out everything so that Steph and Kelly and clay and whoever, know what has happening because you see it. So they have to basically relearn how to play basketball in a way yeah. that they've never learned how to play before, you know? And I think wings, it's a similar thing because going from guarding uh, some six, three white guy in the ACC to guarding hey, Paul hey. George is a, is a, a stretch for a lot of these wing players, you know, but uh totally. I, I still, I, they don't, they don't have to be the backline defense, you know? So yes, they have yeah. a, they, a lot of time to take their raw skills and move it uh, into the place they need to be. And wings are asked in the modern NBA to uh, defend on ball, defend off ball, ball handle, shoot, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So they also have a, an abundance of things to learn, but I think they have less habits to unlearn compared to the big men. And that, that's, that's the way I see uh, totally. prospect development. That, that uh, was a fantastic answer. And it seems now that I've listened to you explain it almost obvious. And so I, I feel quite dumb for, for uh, you know, asking the question, but thank you for uh, explaining that for me. Uh, one more Bulls take that I want to get out there is I don't know how much you've seen of Patrick Williams, but holy shit, man, he looks incredible to my eyes. You know, it was, it was wild when he, you know, rose up the uh, the draft rankings and everyone's like, who the fuck is this guy and why is he going so high? But, you know, there are a lot of smart people at the end were like, no, this kind of makes sense. He, he really is projectable. He's, he's got some great skills. And his mid-range to me just looks sensational. And I think that that skill like bodes so well for, for his growth development and potential because I think – if you've got that, the chances that you will be able to at least become a passable three-point shooter are good. You know, he's he's a monster on defense. He just looks like a fantastic pick and a fantastic player. And so I'm I'm, I'm hyped to see where he goes. And I think the Bulls really, really got a great one, even if he hasn't gotten that much attention or, or put up the stats as some of other, these other guys in their class. I would expect him to someday be one of the top two or top three players that come out of this, this rookie, rookie cohort. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we've been putting off our rookie episode all year. Uh, and that, that rookie episode is coming soon because, uh, the narrative before the draft that this was going to be a really bad draft year is, is, has stuck after the draft in a lot of different ways. And I, have wholeheartedly disagreed since before the draft and especially after the draft. So we'll, we'll, we'll save our rookie episode uh, for another time. The, the last thing I want to talk to you about before we jump into our main session for the day is for the last two or three months, for the last two or three months, two teams have been unquestionably the best teams in the NBA. They've uh, been the best, up near the top in offensive rating, up near the top in defensive rating, net rating, and have been winning more games than everyone else. And those two teams are the Utah Jazz and the Phoenix Suns. And still, people are spending more time talking about the Lakers. The Clippers conversation has been picking up a little bit in recent days. Plenty of time talking about the Nets. Sometimes spent talking about the Sixers. It seems, it seems like the Jazz and the Suns aren't quite getting the hype that dominant regular season teams normally get. Riley, is that deserved? Is, is, is that, a, is that a, a fair assumption that people aren't spending the, this much time on these players, on these teams? Or should we be uh, looking out for them a little bit more? Sure. I, uh, this, is, this is a fantastic question. I actually had a lot of thoughts. So cut me off or jump in if you, if you ever need to. My, my first thing is, yes, they're underrated because market size. And that's just, to me, that's the simplest explanation. There are more Lakers fans than any other kind of fans out there. So it doesn't matter if the Lakers are trash. It doesn't matter what they are. They are going to get covered. And then you add LeBron James and all that legacy and goat discussion in there. And it just 
the people, there are more people who care about that, you know, than, than anything else. And so I, 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 I don't know if they deserve more credit or more attention, right? Because, you know, these are, these are capitalistic systems. These, uh, these outlets that, that cover the NBA are going to go and, and provide, provide coverage and clicks and articles and whatnot, like where there's demand. So in that sense, I, I think they are getting the right amount of coverage for the, the, the league, you know, commiserate with their talent level. No. Um, to try and explain why that's happening in, in other ways. I think it's the same thing that we see year in and year out. There's a distrust of teams that have not quote unquote proven themselves. Right. And this has always confused me a little bit because it's almost impossible to prove yourself as a team. Even if you're like really good without like losing beforehand. And so we, we, we hold teams to this, this standard that we just like, there's no way for a team to, to, to rise up the ranks really quickly and be taken seriously ever, even if it's justified because there's this sense that like, oh, you haven't gone and lost and, and like worked your way around deeper every year in the playoffs. And, and that's how I think a lot of old kind of heads like really uh, put a referendum on the potential of a team and, and have they quote unquote earn their stripes. And I, I, I do think there is some value to playoff experience. It's totally, it's totally fair and it, it's totally real. Um, but the, the last time I can think about, you know, a team that, that kind of came from somewhat nowhere, it was the Warriors in 20, 2014, 2015. Everyone really, like there was one writer for ESPN who picked them to win the championship before the season. They, they got more attention um, because they won a lot of games and because they had some exciting players and they're in a decently large market. But even then, you know, there was doubt. There was, there was a skepticism about their long-term viability. And I don't, I don't know if that was fair or not. I, I tend to think, you know, we've seen examples of, of the Bucks or the Sixers, the Clippers, you know, in, in recent years that, you know, people had had doubts and they were proven right. And so I think, you know, it might be more prudent to be a hater in this situation than, than actually buy into the, the hype. But I, I don't know. I, I'm with you. I think these teams are fantastic. I think they have a chance to go deep, but I, I, I do start to see myself swayed by the argument that, you know, the Suns have not been a winning team in a very long time. And uh, so, you know, and the Jazz have had a lot of really bad recent defeats. Like at what point do we say that that is more indicative of who they've been this year? I, I, I don't know. Where do you come down on that? Yeah. Uh, you, you make, you make a lot of great points, especially a lot of great points about hashtag content, you know, and like, that's something that eternally frustrates me as someone who enjoys the game of basketball, not like the politics of small market Mm. versus big market, this or that, you know what I mean? That being said, I, I always notice fallacies pop up with the, like, they have to prove their self mantra because the Warriors yeah. kind of came out of nowhere in 2014, 2015. And how did they do in the playoffs the two years before that? Right. They, they uh, had, they pushed the Spurs, the dynasty level Spurs uh, right sure. to the brink. And then who was, did they beat the Clippers or did they beat Memphis? They beat Memphis, right? Um, I think it was Memphis. Yeah, it was Memphis, the, and then to go on to play the Clippers, they lost to the Clippers. Yeah, they lost to Chris Paul. Yeah, I, but I was watching that. that but game. they they beat the grit and grind, the like Grizzlies at the heart of grit and grind, you know. And then they went on and they they pushed. also beat Denver. Yeah, they, a, they they, they beat Denver. They, they beat Denver. They they had all of these series that like was them going and losing. And yeah. then came back in 2014, 2015. The thing people missed leading up to 2014, 2015 was just Steph, you know, and the Steph, the Steph yeah. factor and what that would do to the team. But they had some some losses. Were they as bad as the Jazz losses of some years past? No. But last year, like Donovan Mitchell turned into a human flamethrower for a few games in uh, the Denver series, and that get, series went to seven. And the Jazz are better this year. 
Mike Conley is totally, actually fits totally. into the system. They have Bojan Bogdanovic back, and he wasn't there in the bubble. They've got uh, some but I pieces think he's that super important. So yes, yeah, yes. they've got some pieces that fit a little around better on the outside, and they've been the second in offensive rating and the second in defensive rating all year long. You know, after like the first week, they have been a top five offense and top five defense all year long without ever dropping out of those spots. For me, this feels like a championship uh, a championship system. You know, this feels like a championship recipe. And I think people are sleeping on it because there's not LeBron James or Kevin Durant there. I, I'm going to go on record right now by saying I would not be surprised at all if the Utah Jazz won the championship in a few months. I, I'm I'm not I'm not necessarily picking them to do it yet. Maybe we'll do that before the playoffs, but I would not be surprised at all. I I I'm with you. You know, I think in general they're you know because of, for all the reasons that I explained beforehand, like we just do a bad job of picking these teams, and so I I don't want this to like sound like I'm contradicting everything else I was I was arguing, but I, I I'm with you. You know, I I wouldn't be surprised. I. I don't expect them to, I guess is how I would, how I'd put it. Right. Like I, I still think, you know, talent, especially singular talent in the form of, you know, a singular player um, is the, is the be all and end all in this league. Um, But I love the jazz and I, I'm with you. I think they can, they can shock the world, even though it shouldn't be a shock because I guess, you know, what our conclusion is. Right. Yeah. Riley, I think it's time. Yes to transition yeah. into our main topic for the day, which uh, as, as we've been talking about uh, hashtag content a few times today, this conversation moves us further away from what's happening on the basketball court and a little bit closer towards uh, hashtag content. But we, uh, we live, we live in a world where the combination of social media and uh, national television exposure is making the athletes in our world mega famous, okay? And sometimes athletes use that, like Russell Westbrook, to go open up uh, homes for, or like, play in really poor urban areas. He goes and opens up places to, for food and for schools and LeBron James starts to, I believe school, you know, but the, I promise school, the, I promise school. There we go. Thank you. The, I promise school, but sometimes this athlete, uh, mega stardom can come under the microscope in a little bit less desirable ways and a little bit more infamous ways as it did with a uh, Twitter DM conversation had between uh, Brooklyn Nets superstar Kevin Durant and Michael Rappaport. So before we dive into uh, the angles that we want to take on this, Riley, tell us who is Michael Rappaport and why is, why, how does he factor into this story at all? We all know who Kevin Durant is, but who is this Rappaport yeah. guy and what's, what's his That's- story? I, I, you're the, you're the second person who has asked me to explain this. And I don't know why the assumption is that I, I know any better than anyone else. Um, but I'll do my best. Michael Rappaport is, is what I would call a B minus C plus list actor, um, who has appeared in a number of films. Um, I think he got his biggest break, uh, on a sitcom, uh, a number of years ago. Let's let me let me Google his uh, Wikipedia page right now, just so I'm not speaking out of my ass. Um, basically, though, he I would describe him as an NBA hangers-on. He's he's from New York City. He's he's been, you know, uh, a fan of the NBA and, and a, a minor celebrity who who spends a lot of his free time, you know, talking about the league, going to games. He's he's someone who is clearly a very big basketball fan and is very ingratiated. Um, I think. I don't know if I use that right in, into basketball culture. Um, I, I tried to put this delicately the other day. I, I don't know if I would say that he's invited to the cookout. Um, but I, I think that he does have at least command some, some respect from, you know, his background and his appreciation of basketball culture and his ability to talk about the subject. 
you know, I, I, he's been on Daisy's Amaro, I believe a number of times and just in general, you know, has, has a pretty good pulse on, on basketball culture, on street culture, on black culture as, as a white guy. Um, and so he, I don't know that he's like, you know, a super talented individual or someone that, that has, has, you know, managed to sustain because he, you know, is, is incredible in anything he does, but I think he clearly has found a lane and has had a lot of connections and, and has a, a very entertaining personality. So that's, that's my best attempt to kind of describe how he's, you know, basketball adjacent and he, he knows all these guys, right? Like, even if, you know, he's not a, a super famous person to the rest of us, I think a lot of basketball players like clearly know who he is and, and engage with him, right? Like KD, yes, he's in some people's DMs, but he's not in everyone's DMs, right? Like he, he responds to random people on Twitter, but he's not, you know, spitting, you know, frankly, some pretty disgusting words at just anyone, right? Like there, there clearly is some sort of relationship there. And so, yeah, I don't know. How does that, how does that sound? That sounds great. That was, that was really well said. Uh, knowing that he is, does have the ability to slide into some of these NBA players, DMs. Uh, tell us about this recent explosion of sorts that happened in a conversation between him and uh, Mr. Durant. Yeah. I, I don't know um, like what set it off. Um, I, do you have the, the details on that? I'm, I'm trying to look them up now. It, it, it seemed, it seemed like uh, Rappaport was, was making certain comments about uh just kind of placing KD and the Nets in in doubt. Like, like he he wasn't he wasn't coming across as as the biggest supporter of these mm. guys. Oh mm. uh, yeah, okay. So he he basically called called out KD for being sensitive, which you know I don't know if we have to rehash the entirety of Kevin Durant's personality, but I, I don't think that's it's it's something that I think. Katie is actually paradoxically sensitive about, and it's also something you know probably because of this reason that it's because it's true. Um, you know, he he to me to my eyes at least very clearly cares cares deeply about how everyone views him. You know, even people who aren't on his status. He he feels like he doesn't get the respect he deserves. You know, you could maybe trace that back to not to psychoanalyze the guy, but like he was picked second overall after a, a sterling career at Texas, right? Like he, he's one of the most unique and, and gifted players we've ever had in this league. And he's never gotten that, that claim of being the best player in the league. Even if, you know, some of us might have, have said that there was a point where he, he had attained that status. He, he was, you know, given a really hard time for not being able to win with the thunder. Um, and, and he, I think clearly bought into the criticism that like your career is not valid you're not, you know, it's, it's the, the earn the rings, Arnie, like that kind of discussion where, you know, you watch, you watch inside the NBA, which I think, you know, a lot of these guys do. Right. And they, they see the way that no matter what uh, Charles Barkley says, Shaq has one response. You know, it, it means that I think Shaq's a really shitty debater, but by the, by the, the calculus and the, the value that NBA players seem to live by and, and, and greater culture has, has gone on to, you know, believe you don't have rings. You can't say shit, right? Like you're just not allowed at that discussion at the table. And, you know, Kevin Durant, you know, to, to go back to his decision to go to Golden State, I think he felt like it was imperative for his legacy that he win a ring no matter what, because if you didn't have one, he was never going to get on that conversation. And he wasn't sure that he could do it without coming to golden state and so all of that has you know spun into the the burner accounts and everything else that we've seen but i I just think he's an incredibly sensitive guy and rapport pushed the right button yeah and so we're we're not going to sit here and spend time debating the inner workings of kevin durant's mind or the inner workings of kevin durant's burner accounts because we haven't had any conversations with kevin durant lately and that's, uh, that's a great point I don't know any of his uh, burner account handles off the top of my head. What we do feel qualified talking a little bit about is how this event 
reflects on what we as consumers of the game expect from our stars. You know, because Kevin Durant is, uh, for better or for worse, he is an athlete and one of the most famous people in the United States. And he is worth millions of more dollars than uh, he gets paid on the basketball court because of what he's able to do off the basketball court. The brand is, the brand is strong. The brand is alive. He's done all these things. He sells a lot of shoes and a lot of kids watch him on TV and say, I want to be like him when I grow up. And then he also says this to Michael Rappaport. So what the, the bigger question that we want to try to answer is what, what, what should we expect from fans in terms of our athletes? Is this something that should be kind of like allowed and said he's a person thinking these things or as the figure that he is, should he be held to a, to a slightly different standard? What do you, what do you think, Riley? Oh, I was going to, I was going to turn that back on you first. Cause actually I want to hear where you come from to set the table this time, if that's okay. Yeah, that's great. Um, I am, I'm, I'm kind of torn on this in a lot of different ways because like I am not a celebrity, I'm not famous. And if I was a celebrity, if I was famous, I would want the ability to uh, do what I do without my name being in everyone's mouth in good, bad and ugly ways all the time, you know? So I, uh, if not like a, strong sympathy for Kevin Durant because I've never been in this position. I do have a strong empathy where I can imagine if people are constantly trash talking him on the internet and he's constantly on the internet, I totally understand how that would weigh on the guy. That being said, I am also a big believer in respecting others. You know, just even like, like I, I, I'm, I'm a believer in the high road so to speak, you know, like when people go low, you go high. And if being on the internet prevents Kevin Durant from taking the high road, if being on the internet in this uh, way prevents him from uh, showing a wider amount of respect, then maybe he should get off the internet because he is, he is a central figure. And, and this sort of shenanigans are stuff that might be talked about for decades, might be forgotten as soon as the Brooklyn Nets win a championship in June. But I, I personally understand when our uh, public figures end up in maybe not the best situations uh, by their own hand, but I, I, I believe that they can do better. You know, LeBron James has never had an argument with a burner account. Steph Curry has never had an argument with a burner account. Giannis, Embiid, whoever these guys are, they don't do that. You know, so 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 that that's that's my take. I I I'm a believer in respect. I I think that's that's a a, a noble take, and I I applaud you for that take. I I think I am also, you know, largely in agreement. I think. Kevin Durant's problem first and foremost is that I think he just doesn't quite understand the the quote unquote price of fame, right? Like I'm, I'm not here to argue whether that's fair or not. I'm just pointing out that that is kind of the way that the world works, right? Is that people, you are going to be in people's mouth. It's in, I, I, you know, he's been described, you know, by Bill Simmons and people who have interviewed him in depth and, and know him pretty well as someone who just, who loves basketball more than anything, right? Like, and he, you know, again, I, I, sorry, not to dive too deeply into him, but I think there people have posited this idea, like he can't understand why that isn't enough for the rest of the world. Right. And I think that's, to me, that, that really goes a long way in explaining like why he feels the need to reach out and why he, he seems so easily provoked and, and easily perturbed and, you know, why he gets so, so into this. But I, so I think, I understand and I empathize with that disconnect for him, but I, I just, I think, especially in his case, you know, it's, it, it, if you don't want to be in the public eye, like you don't, you don't part, you don't play in the NBA. You don't have a social media account. I think you're totally right. I think it would be beneficial for him to get off of, of social media. Um, I, I wanted to touch on a couple other players that you mentioned in that, that answer, which 
LeBron James and Joel Embiid. Um, the first is to say that I think the fact that LeBron has never had a scandal is not talked about enough, right? Like even, you know, Michael Jordan to be that massively competitive and, you know, frankly, kind of an asshole, but you know, that was part of the mystique and it helped him win for LeBron to reach similar individual heights, maybe not the same undefeated record in the finals, but you know, we can break down the, the code debate later for him to reach that level, to have the consistency, the length of career and to be the, the basically the model citizen, I think is almost more impressive than, than anything else. Yeah. You know, he, he, there's interviews that were done with him in high school and you can tell he's just I, probably because of his intelligence, right? He's like one of the most media savvy and, and able to just deflect any question and do so with, with charm and, and ease and everything. And I think that just doesn't get enough, enough attention because it, it is miraculous, right? It's like, you know, when have we ever seen a, a player of that caliber have that touch with the media, right? Like let's say Lionel Messi, just doesn't doesn't like doing it, avoids it at all possible, and he's he's good enough and, and rich enough that he can. But LeBron has embraced being the face of this league and and you know being his somewhat corny self with the Taco Tuesdays, and and you know I think that's just remarkable. So so shout out to LeBron for that, and then also Joel Embiid, right? Like yes, he does not you know burner account um, argue with people, or sorry, argue with people's burner accounts. But he he's a master of social media. He uses it to trash talk in in ways that I think are I personally find hilarious and and just massively done. I I can see the argument that it's a little bit too much sometimes, but I, I think watching him destroy Andre Drummond is just it's it's objectively impressive and objectively hilarious. And so I think that's a much better example of someone who's using this tool, this this ability to reach more people and to, to engage with more people, use it to his own benefit. And, and control the narrative. And I think he he's the the example that I think maybe other players should look to, right? He's like, if you set the terms and you control the interactions and you decide what you're going to do, you come out of this this so much better than any other any other way of of using social media or engaging with fans or anything. Yeah. And Embiid also has those moments where he does get a little bit more reflective and introspective and he says things along the lines of like, yeah, I understand what I'm doing here and I'm not doing it to be mean and to be evil. I'm doing it to have fun. I'm doing it like in these these, uh, situations. Another person who I think is an even better example for what NBA players could do or what Kevin Durant could adopt the, the strategy of is the only other player in the league that a lot of that could be compared to Durant in terms of underhanded moves, quote unquote, over the last few years. I don't believe that either of them are doing underhanded moves, but a lot of people do. That's Kawhi Leonard. You know, he uh, feuded with one of the league's best coaches in San Antonio and uh, basically sat out an entire season because he was unhappy with that team. You know, sat out an entire season. Yes, he was injured in some ways, but he's, he uh, burned that bridge, forced a trade, which is now the cardinal sin in a lot of people's minds in the NBA, forced a trade to a team, brought that team a, a championship, and then turned right around and said, thanks, I'm a go, and went and formed another super team in L.A. You know, and it has yeah. since choked in a 3-1 series. You know, uh-huh. choked away, choked away a three-one series to the Denver Nuggets, uh, and he is treated so much differently than Kevin Durant is by a large portion of basketball fans and basketball conversations and internet conversations. He's treated so much differently, and. I think it may be because Kevin Durant was just never meant to be the bad guy. He's not a good bad guy. And that's the role that he's been put in, in the last few years. And he's like yeah. tried to embrace, but he's just, he's just not good at it. Like saying he's going to go fight Mac- Michael Rappaport at 10 PM on this street, you know, like he's not going to go do that. It, yeah. it, it's not, it's, he's not being a bad guy. And the same lovable way that Joel Embiid does or in the same more anonymous way than 
Kawhi does, and that reflects poorly on him. Yeah, no, I think that's a that's a fantastic way to describe it. And I think Kawhi is such a perfect example because he he, he controls the narrative by just not not caring, or even if he does care, pretending not to care, and and by just not refusing to participate. Right, like it it does limit his. Yeah, you know, social media. I think is it's a two edged sword, double edged sword. You you can reap the benefits in in terms of exposure and in terms of reach, in terms of sponsorship, in terms of how much you stick in the public consciousness. But something you said earlier to me, like really matters or really struck a chord. It's like, how long are we actually going to care about this? And I would bet, you know, this is a footnote in Kevin Durant's ultimate legacy and his biography, if this incident ever gets mentioned at all. Right. And I think that's the way a lot of social media ends up being. It's, it's something that's a little bit ephemeral and it, it doesn't actually have the impact that we feel like it does at the time. Um, but I, I do think for at least his own, you know, earthly enjoyment of um, just life and like what it is to be a famous person, I think Katie sh- should look at how Kawhi, right, has, has managed to, to still, you know, he's not as famous, but he's okay, you know, not being that famous and he gets the benefits, right? And it seems like Katie doesn't really like being that famous and yet he he puts himself in a position to, to only get the worst parts of that right like he, he could take a different a different path and it's it's just interesting that he has not so i now that i've, I've said that unless you have anything else you know you want to talk about i i want to kind of flip this conversation into a place that i said earlier i didn't want to take it but i, I think it's appropriate now which is like what is the what is the the relationship between fans and players like what is the nature of fame like what is owed you know like what do you think like where where do you see that discussion a lot of the times it's the, the argument is brought up oh they get paid millions of dollars and that kind of excuses everything and in some ways i i think that's a really you know really crash way to put it and we need to have more empathy like you put for, for these guys as individuals but at the same time i i find a hard press to tell someone who's not famous that like you know everyone should have all the same privileges and, and that there is no price to being famous. Yeah. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I, I am overly idealistic and oftentimes in, I've been told unrealistic manners, you know, but I, I, I will refuse to ever believe or support the argument that, um, uh, someone deserves less empathy and respect because of anything you know like i don't feel bad for kevin kevin durant for the fact that he makes millions and millions of dollars and his grandkids if uh his grandkids will never need to work you know uh i don't i don't like like i don't pity him like, like that's that, that that's something that that I I think is is an important word to bring up. I don't feel bad for Kevin. I don't pity Kevin Durant, but I can feel bad for Kevin Durant. You know, I don't think anything is owed because of the fact that he's famous. You know, like not like LeBron, nothing is owed, and he does things like the I Promise School and his many other uh, selfless acts over his long career because that's what he wants to do. Kawhi Leonard leaves the Staples Center and drives off into anonymity because that's what he wants to do, you know? And I, th- I think people should be able to uh, live those sort of lives. And I think Kevin Durant wants to be LeBron. It's, it, he's, yeah. kinda, he's always wanted to be LeBron. His entire career, he's yeah. wanted what LeBron has, being beloved, being winning a bunch of championships, being an all-time great, being the best player in the world, being a multi-million dollar brand off the court. But he, he has a hard time getting out of his own way in pursuit yeah. of that goal. So I, I, I don't that, – that's a long-winded way of saying I don't uh, – believe that anything is owed because of celebrity. And I think it's unfair to someone like Kevin Durant that he has to face a lot of the criticisms that he faces because of, uh, like, it's, it's sort of a chicken or the egg thing. Like, I don't think he brought 
these things upon himself. I think he was kind of made this way. What do you think, Riley? Uh, yeah, I, I feel you. So I want to flip it on, on its head then. Is it fair of us as, as the public and as fans and the people who, who do, you know, our interest, like makes the league relevant and makes, you know, not the basketball exists, but the, everything that comes with it and, and the, the support for the grandkids, right? And, and the accolades. I feel like that doesn't happen without fan interest. Is it fair of us then to hold players and celebrities and, and people to higher standards, especially on social media? Uh, I think that's a great point. Um, I... Why well, I, I think for me it boils a little bit back down to uh, what he uh, brings upon himself, and in terms of uh, how he was treated in order to be put in that situation. You know what I you know what I mean. So like I I think that because he is in the public eye, I think that brings a lot more abuse to him. And I think that um, has brought a lot more hate and has people's, has his name in people's mouths and really in a a lot of unfair kind of mean and disrespectful ways by those people. And so I think facing that a lot of the time is is unfair to that person. And I think that the respectful thing for Kevin Durant to do would be to not engage with that is to take the high road, you know? And I, I have that opinion for everyone. You know, if I were to see you going off on a Twitter tirade against Kevin Durant, I'd be like, Riley, what the fuck? And if I were to see Kevin Durant go off on a Twitter tirade against you or against Michael Rappaport or whoever, I'd be like, yo man, like what the fuck? Like, this is not the way you communicate with people. Yeah, I, I think that that really is the the crux of it, right? It's just like, you know, not to be kindergarten about it, but like treat everyone how you want to be treated. And and kind of the corollary being assume that everything you're sending is going to become public and, and is going to be judged, right? It's like, I think don't, we, we, we like to appreciate, you know, vulnerability and uh, authenticity from from players and people right because we want to know them as as who they really are but at the same time you know people's true personalities and how they speak to their friends or their their brothers isn't always something that's fit for public consumption and i think it's it's the the problem with social media right that, that things are so much easier to do and say than they've ever been before and we also we kind of forget that even if, you know, we, we think about a DM, right. as a, a single room, right. Where we're just talking to our friends. So this zoom call that I'm on with you right now, it, it can be recorded. It can be duplicated. It can be disseminated faster than I can say hashtag canceled. And so that, that is to me, the ultimate lesson of this, right. Is, is it just gotta be smarter. Like it, it's tucks and it's hard, but you're right. Like ever, we got to hold ourselves and, and everyone to a higher standard and, and, be more realistic with our, our expectations. I agree wholeheartedly. That, that's, that's, that's a great, that's a great takeaway. That's a great uh, sort of like con- conclusion statement is to understand the environment that we are in as uh, people and personalities on the internet. And when you're one of those bigger personalities, understanding that your actions have ramifications and yeah. going going high instead of going low can oftentimes lead to a lot of uh, a, a lot of beneficial situations as opposed to the other way around. Totally. Well, and so I I, I want to ask you one last question before we wrap this up. Um, you know, I'm someone who's deeply online, as as it's been called, um, and you're someone who's really kind of eschewed social media. Where do you fall? I think I can I can tell, but like, where do you fall on the like positive, negative? Like, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is there hope for it to to become a better place, or is it kind of poisoned? Has the well been poisoned from the start? Uh, the well has been poisoned from the start. 
on social media, you know, like the, uh, like Facebook and the algorithms that it uses to put you in contact with the, like every element that you say out loud or think and all those things has proven to be a cesspool of, of hate and, uh, uh, of hate and insecurities and, uh, the, like, like Snapchat has gotten a lot more harmless than it did in in its in its infancy. And I think Instagram has gotten a little bit more harmless over the years go on. But that doesn't prevent me from seeing the exact same fucking picture on Instagram by the exact same person over and over and over again with the same sort of caption that's like meant to be cutesy and creative and whatnot. And Twitter is is simultaneously the best and worst of social media from my opinion you know like mm-hmm. it, it like nothing brings me sports and pop culture news faster than twitter you know if i were to, if i were to go on twitter and scroll through for a few minutes i could see like at the end of at the end of the day i could see all of the scores and the highlights from all of the basketball and baseball games that have happened all all day long but then I also see trash opinions and like that idea that you, there's no room for, uh, there's no room for anything in the middle ground in 160 yeah. characters, you know? So I, uh, I highly caution people on social media and whatnot. And if you want to be like a, like a famous person, and if you're someone like LeBron where his tweets are like taco Tuesday or, Oh, come on, that was a foul. You know, like most of his tweets are very cheesy and corny, which prevents true, the true vitriol to appear, you know, what do you think? Um, I, I, I tend to agree and I don't want to sidetrack this because we're trying to wrap up, but I think, it's a fascinating debate about how much this makes things worse and how much it just amplifies human nature. Um, because I, I, I think you're right. I think, you know, I think there's a way for social media to work where it's not this way, but that isn't profitable. And so there's, there's no incentive there for companies to do that. You know, I think I do believe in the power of social media. It's like you said, you know, provide a, a meaningful experience, but I think the the way that things have been built to be addictive, the way that they've been built to squash discussion and, and um, you know, force kind of extreme positions. I would recommend everyone uh, to go watch this YouTube, sorry, this TED talk um, uh, about Justine Sacco. She was a woman who made a joke um, about AIDS that was that was meant to like highlight you know, racial inequality in Africa and, and the way that, that race affects your, your exposure to the disease, put it on Twitter, thought nothing of it, closed her phone, got on an airplane to fly to Africa where she was a humanitarian uh, working at an NGO. When she woke up, her life had been ruined because everyone, you know, took the, didn't understand the full context of the joke and just the pitchforks and mobs were out in, in a way that maybe have never been in the history of the internet. Like it was, it was possibly the most kind of vicious thing. And so there's, there's a fantastic Ted talk. I, I don't remember the name. I'm sorry, but I encourage everyone to go watch it because it, you know, it really kind of shows you the other side of this. And, and to me that that is a question more of human nature, right? It's the, it's the motivation that we all have to pile on or to, to, to defend our pride or ego or whatever. And, and to, to punch down too. I think all of those things oh, I believe are still present in people as much as I, I do see the good side of, of people. I think they're present and at the end of the day, social media can't make us worse than we already are. It can only amplify the effects is kind of how I see it. I love it. Well said, sir. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Well, unless you have any other final words, I think it's, it's time for us to wrap today. Is there, is there any closing sentiment you want to send out to the people? Uh, I, I, I think, I think we covered it, but, uh, social media is the devil and also inescapable. And, uh, I highly encourage people to, when they engage with the platform to think about things 
deeply. Fantastic, fantastic advice for myself and for everybody out there. All right, Nolan. Well, uh, I appreciate you so much. And I'm so glad that we got to do this again because I really, really been missing it. Um, very happy to be back, man. Our, very happy to be back. We, uh, I think we finally got a rhythm now. We've, we've established the, the time zone situation and hopefully this is a, a thing that we do going forwards. Um, to all of you who are patient out there, and eagerly waiting our next episode. Um, thank you for, for tuning back in and, and sticking with us. This has been the Hockey Assist a Basketball Podcast. You can look for new episodes dropping. Will it be? Will it be each Wednesday? I'm not sure, Nolan. We, we haven't decided we're, that. We're, we're going we're gonna to continue ironing out uh, the schedule here. We'll keep you updated uh, via our Twitter account, but we'll... We'll plan, plan for a little bit more of a flexible release, but if we can get back to Wednesday uh, releases, then we'll be happy. We'll be happy, guys. Totally. Uh, so, so hopefully it's uh, an ideal for us to subscribe to. Uh, you can still find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. That has not changed. And we will still ask that you like, subscribe, leave a review, and all that good stuff. We still love your feedback, and we would love to get more. So don't hesitate to reach out either by leaving us a comment on our pod or hitting us up on Twitter at hockey underscore assist. We hope you've enjoyed the show um, because I certainly have, and I think I can speak for Nolan and saying he certainly has. We cannot wait to bring you more. So for Nolan Cope, I'm Riley Gaucher, and we are checking out of episode 12. Have a fantastic week.